It's time for Confessions of a Serial Salesman. Author, expert sales trainer, and serial entrepreneur Steve Noodleberg wants to help you change your life and your business using his 27 roles for influencers and leaders. This is the Confessions of a Serial Salesman podcast with Steve Noodleberg. Here's Josh Cohen. And welcome to another installment of the Confessions of a Serial Salesman, the podcast based on the book, The 27 Rules for Influencers and Leaders in hardcover, in paperback, and of course, in the dulcet tones of one Steve Noodleberg's own voice. It is episode number 62, and our guest today is a special guest, not only one of the few that have made a return appearance, but today the stage is all his. The light is solely on him. He's not sharing with generations of the great Noodleberg family. And this is a guest, Steve, by the way. This is a guest that you've known his entire life. Now, we say that. We throw that phrase around. I've known him his entire life. But literally, you've known him his entire life even before he uh, entered this world, as a matter of fact. That would be correct. Correct. That would be uh, pre-whatever. Pre-delivery. <laughs> Pre-arrival. Right. right. But I will tell you, in the theme of tell me something good, it does not get better than this. Than this right here. For This for me, and you know, friends of mine who know that uh, Mark is joining us today, they said, dude, you know, what a proud moment. And it's just... Unbelievable. Introduce us to your guest. So uh, my guest is my number one son, Mark Noodleberg. Mark Noodleberg, the number one son, the heir to the throne. I feel like Tiger. I'm back, baby. (laughs) This is your second appearance on the podcast. That's exactly right. Number two. and I'm here all the time now. Yeah, yeah, now explain that a little bit, because the last time you were with us, you were uh, in the world of college football coaching, and you were spending a lot of time, I think, recruiting, right? Weren't you out and about and traveling and doing all that? I was, yeah. You know, I spent 10 years as a college football coach in all different facets of the game, Mm -hmm. uh, mostly as a special teams coordinator, but... Mm -hmm. The last time I was on, that's what I was doing. I was at Lafayette College, and in the past two months, I've made a complete career transition. And a life transition with And that. a life transition Because it's not that. just career. I mean, everything has changed. Everything has changed. As Pearl Jam once saying, everything has changed. Wow, I like that. little... Um Rock and roll reference try to start it? Well, you know, Mark and I are young. You know, we're a generation. Mark and I are Mark young. Mark and I are young. So we're a generation before yours that didn't have Kenny, radio. they're hanging up on me, dude. It didn't they're, have, they're all uh, over me. Didn't have, what did you guys do before music and before radio? Did you, guys, <laughs> did you sing church hymns? We just banged dimes on the street. <laughs> oh, you banged, ping, ping, ping. Um, so let's get to this. Um, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit runs throughout the Noodleberg bloodline, but that is also part of the whole sales uh, DNA that runs throughout. You were selling yourself. You were selling a college football program. So, uh, you, you were selling players, right, um, on buying into the system, whatnot. And now here you are in this transition, and Dad says, I take it from here. Well, you know, so there's an interesting, you know, paradigm for me. There's two different roles. I want to play the good father. You know, I want to be a good parent to him. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I also want to help him grow to be the best person and all that kind of stuff right right so he calls me up and says i i don't think this is what i want to do anymore and when you invest 10 plus years or more in in, in something that is a a, a real inflection point and, and not just how many years but which years which young stage years. of your the yeah, young I mean, these years are 18 to 32 this you know? right this is the high school he's kid, invested in kid. this whole thing he's fairly successful i know that 
he wants to do things to make me proud. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for him to say to me, hey, hey I did this. I, I'm not willing to give up mm-hmm. what I have to give up to, to get to the next level in this thing. So it was really an interesting time for me. But change does that to people, and that's what I want, to, I want you to talk about. I want you to talk about all of the parameters, all the things that go through your mind mm-hmm. when change is happening. You get dealt with you know, failure. You get dealt with anxiety. You get dealt with opportunity. So roll. Yeah. Because it was really cool for us. And what was that moment that you knew that uh, you decided, that's it, I'm going to make a change? Um, well, so at the previous place that I worked, I think it's about extreme ownership, right? I won't dance around. Mm-hmm. I came from a place where the working environment was not good between me and my superior, the head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, we went through two years of doing it, and we got to a point where we just couldn't do it anymore. Like chemistry-wise? Chemistry-wise. Every, just vibe. Every, every, anything you could imagine. Mm-hmm. We, we disagreed at every corner that you could be Toxic at. cultures <laughs> do um, that to people. Sure. And, and you know, I, I, I own my part of it. I don't run away from that, you know, but I create. I helped. I took part in creating an environment with him that – him and I could no longer continue. Mm-hmm. So then it became about, well, what was my next option? Mm-hmm. You know, where, where, where do I go back? Do I take a step back? Do I go back to a quality control role? Do I find somewhere else? Do I, do I just continue to go and grind? Or do I transition out? Or do I, or do I take a look at something else and doing something else? And I was sitting there having that, like, what do I want to do? I'm 32. I'm not too old. Mm-hmm. I'm on the cusp of being too old. I to, might. When are you too old for what? For what exactly? To transition to another career. Yeah. To 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 you know, and, and maybe not. And you believe that? You believe that idea that you're too old too? Because it sounds not, not if you listen to Gary V. I mean, right. Gary V. says you're not. You're not 55. You're not too old. So, right. Um, you know, my sister has a uh, sign that's painted on wood in her living room of her house, and when I'm about to visit, I always see it and I always think of it, and it says you're never too old to become what you might have been. Wow. And, and I believe that. I subscribe to that. I agree, uh, but I think there's a lot that goes into that and and the, the internal feelings that you have to fight. I think the older you get, the harder it is to fight those feelings of I'm stuck or this is what I do, this is who I am. I can't do anything else. And you're comfortable and you're set in ways and you know that's And what you know it. Right. You know it. Look, right. I, I'm I transitioned into the business world in into a sales role into you know being a marketing consultant here. But weren't you always selling brands? I mean, weren't always, you, well, everybody's always selling. But, but I'm saying you were selling kids to come to this school. Come play football for us. I you know, know you were selling those kids, those young men, buy into the system, do your job, keep this wedge, stay in your lane. I know football. I spent 10 years in football. I spent 10 years in college football. I know the college game i knew that that's mm-hmm. comfortable to me right right now i'm here at espn what do i really know about digital marketing aside mm-hmm. from the fact that i know how to look at it mm-hmm. you know what do i really you know about the it, sales right? process <laughs> you, and you know how to learn what do i really know about the sales process mm-hmm. what do i really know about crafting emails and being in the corporate structure and working in that environment but what you know I really how to know learn about? and that's the most important thing right you know how to learn and, and i'm not afraid to learn and you're yeah. not afraid to learn that to me is that's how, how difficult is it though for you? It's hard. I mean, do you feel as though you're quitting on something, or do you feel as point. though you are launching into something else? I that's what I choose to focus on. Do I ever have that feeling of oh, you know, are, are people going to look at me like I quit on football? Sure, I have that feeling. That, do you that, feel that, like that's you human did? Nature. I don't feel like I did. But okay. you felt like that I, feeling. You had that feeling, of course, and I still and do. that creeps into people's being you and i have talked about it those are the feelings that sometimes define somebody for the rest of their life and that's where i talk and we've talked about this before but you choose to decide what defines you Mm -hmm. i don't choose to let leaving football define me i'm going to choose starting a new career define me Mm -hmm. and i'm going to jump in 
you know, water way above my head and completely submerge myself in what's going on so that I can learn and grow and hopefully catch up to people that I feel like I'm behind in the industry. So your dad and I always talk about this. I always talk about this on my radio show. I talk about this when I counsel and advise young people and middle-aged people and older people. The why. So why? So why now say, instead of another job in coaching, why not continuing in that path? Why your reason to go, you know what? I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to take this other path. I'm exiting this highway. I'm getting on a new highway, and Lord knows where it takes me. Why? Opportunity. Opportunity meets that Mm. time. To me, you have to keep your eyes open to what's happening. I think as soon as you put blinders on and say, this is all I'm doing, and this is all I'm going to do, and you you, you lose focus of all of the opportunities that come at you. The opportunity presented itself for me to do this at this time. Mm-hmm. So I explored it. I didn't just go to it. I, I met people. I spent two weeks out and about and trying to figure out whether or not this was something that I could really be passionate about because if I'm not passionate about it, I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. So And nor should anyone. Right. right. No I mean, should, but people do, right? I mean, people people go, well, I got to kind of now to see what's going to... And if you're doing the stepping stone kind of mentality or the time, uh, you know, the, the place saver mentality, nobody ever succeeds when they go half-ass into something they're not passionate about. You know, I think in this situation, it was a little bit more difficult because he can be a coach. He is good at it. Mm-hmm. And to walk away or sidestep from something that you're good at just because you can doesn't mean you should. I don't and that is really, really, really powerful, you know, and, and to have that kind of dialogue with yourself, forget about the stuff that we talked about, but to look yourself in the mirror and say, listen, I'm really good at this. I can coach football. I enjoyed the kids, but, and that big butt is. Big you know, butt. You, know. you, you made me proud right there. Two weeks ago, I said, just because you can do something in life doesn't mean you should. And you said it was our aha moment. You made me proud right there. That, that made an impact. Is. You make an impact on me every week. Finally, I made one on you. So here's it a coaching moment. 62 weeks. <laughs> took 62 episodes, and finally, I gave you something you can use. But here's a coaching moment that I tell people. When you hear or look at something that you like, mm-hmm. you have to internalize it and then share it with somebody within 24 hours, and it becomes yours. So directly after that aha moment, I wrote it down, I internalized it, and no I shared it, and now I share it freely because... Just because you can, doesn't that mean you was, should. That was an aha, man. That's a, that's a Thank real you. disciplined way of thinking that most it people is. aren't. I it mean, is. You know, so, yeah. you know, so this whole set of scenarios, I always thought he could be great in sales. Mm-hmm. I... You know, he's lived with me. You he's know, got that, the genetic code. He's got, he's lived from it. stand he's the man down. It. Right. He's seen it. He knows what it takes. But his commitment in that world mm-hmm. is significantly different than the commitment in this world. You mm-hmm. know, we, I disagree. Okay, go. Please, Mike. I disagree. I, I think maybe the time. Correct. The That's time, right. Yes. Yeah, okay, yeah, for sure. I mean, to, to me, though, I, the work ethic and my mentality. And, Correct. Like, and I think that's what's really important is that as people, if you're going to transition into something new, mm-hmm. you have to find what you can carry over from what you were doing, from what's old to what's new. There are certain aspects of my coaching career that transition directly. Process. I have to find my process. I got to find my my prospecting, my sales. And now it's been great being here because I've been trained on a process, but I have to make that my own. 
right? Mm. If somebody gives you something, right. that's great that they can give it to you and you can follow it, but it's not really, you don't really own it until you, got the you dorm put room, your own. You'd have to decorate now. Yeah, exactly you right. Lay it out as you exactly. would. You have to over there, your, the desk over there, you change it out. Make you it work for you, mm-hmm. you know? So finding the process, but the work ethic stays the same. You know, I, I still wake up early. I still work out early. I still like to be in the office early, getting my reading in or you need sending that structure. emails. I need that structure. Everybody needs that structure. And the ones who find it understand that that's the foundation of how they build and get bigger, stronger, and Except better. Except we talk about it all the time. People listen to this podcast and read the book because they're not as successful as they wish they were or as they want to be. But yet they have a strict ritual. They have a, a habits. They have a pattern they follow right. every single day. So you're keeping your structure but then everything else changes where you work, what you do and how you do that. So now you've got to kind of mend and, and meld your structure into what it needs to be for this new uh, chapter of your life. And you can't get bogged down with fear or with the look, I spent 10 years in college football coaching. Mm-hmm. I became a special teams coordinator at multiple places. What are you afraid of? Had success there. Right. I felt like I knew what I was doing and I could help people around me grow. All of a sudden, I'm the all of a sudden I'm the small fish. What, in the what's pond. the what's the I'm fear? The, people have fear of what a failure. Fear of a failure, failure. Oh, yeah, for but, sure. But, but I mean, in the sense of like not being able to pay the rent and being homeless. Fear of failure in the sense that people are going to look down on them. They're going to have to downsize their car because I look around at people that do what I do, and I'm like, that guy sucks. Or that chick, she's okay, so I know I can make it. Like, if I'm new in a career, I take a look around the room, I listen to everybody, and I don't mean to be mean about it, but I say to myself, boy, if he could do it, I definitely can do it. So you bring up a great point because the um, the feedback you get from whatever you do mm-hmm. teaches you if you're supposed to be there or not. The voice is there. It's happening. Right. Most people don't pay attention to it or right. try and squash it. Yeah. You know, for me, the feedback I get from training and helping people grow is so fantastic i want to do more and it validates the the work ethic it validates the passion you know when you're not getting that validation especially from somebody who is senior to you Mm. that crushes dreams man that is what toxic you know cultures are not only in sports but in sales and whatever so having the wherewithal to say i can't stay here got to move on I, i know what i'm doing and and process is great. I mean, you know, he would work an unbelievable amount of hours, and people who know about coaching, well, so do you do the same thing in sales. Uh-huh. I mean, you were out last night till midnight. Yep. You know, and that was not a social call. It, it, you know, the great salespeople make it social. Right. But but that was work. It was networking, which is one letter away from not working. That a boy. <laughs> it was being accessible and visible right. and endearing himself and hopefully being authentic in the process. Exactly. Because 90% of it is showing up. The most important ability is availability. Oh, there's another. I didn't make that up. I, that, reason, one, that one I didn't it. make up. That one That's actually the reason hurt. I signed Elisa Block away. There you go. Because I'm always available. So you can literally walk a block and a half. You're and I drove right. past you last night just after midnight. I was watching you. And I was like, man, he's got to walk. 222 feet. <laughs> it's like, what, is it like 70 yards? It's not a bad gig. It's not a bad gig at we, all. We've done 62 of these shows, and when I walk over to do the show, mm-hmm. it's still mind-boggling. Yeah. That that's it's pretty good situation. Yeah. And let's be clear, we are neighbors. We're not roommates. Correct. Right. Where there'll be a building separating us. <laughs> Understood. Us. So there are, uh, we, all have, we all have things that motivate us in life, okay? From, from the fighters I know in the, in the UFC um, to the top salespeople to the folks that uh, train uh, sales leaders like your dad does and, and write the book, Steve, as, as you've done. Um, feeling like a novice, feeling like 
Like, you don't know what the others in the room do. And you're not 23 like they are. You're 32. And you're the father of a toddler. And you've had a career where you're successful. Is there a chip on your shoulder that makes Good you, question. that drives you? I mean, because that whole feeling like a novice, you don't want the others to think that way about you, right? Correct. That matters to you, right? Correct. Especially when you come from a background of coaching where you've been in a place of leadership and you want to be in that place of leadership. And to me, leadership is not title or not what you know what your status is it's the way people around you look at you mm. people look at you like a leader because of right. your process because of the way you can help them be better within within themselves that's a leader so i want to get back to that leadership role i can't get to that leadership role without knowledge mm-hmm. so i got to try to learn it faster and faster and faster so that i can catch up cuz i feel like i'm behind and you're not trying to take shortcuts in the process you're trying you to earn your there are no shortcuts, there are no shortcuts to greatness. <laughs> so so I tried to I tried to talk to him sort of like an analogy that made sense and I came up with when Michael Jordan left basketball and went to play baseball, mm-hmm. he went to the minors. Mm-hmm. So here's a guy that, you know, goes to the minors. Now he they had plans of of moving him up, but he's around with guys that were career baseball. Baseball guys, career minor and leaguers. And the curve. <laughs> that were better ball players than him. And better ball players right. than him. You know, and, and so you have to get that humility in check that says, I'm here to learn what it's like to be a major leaguer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the place he's in now. If you open yourself up and say, this is an opportunity for me to learn from everybody that's been here, then maybe I can take my skill sets and be better and be the best. But that's it's so hard, hard though. for people it's to hard. do. It's hard to make yourself vulnerable but- and and ask questions and be okay Why is asking it hard? questions. Because of how you because feel or because of how you think they see you? Both. Well, first of all, you don't want to bother anybody during their day with a question that you're not sure whether it's not stupid. Because I don't really know if what I'm asking is is a is a simple question or is a question that I should already know. But if you so really you gotta want to try to interject into somebody wanna, else's day, if you want to know for the right reasons, not stupid question. Oh, but oh, th- this is such an amazing part of old sales cultures when new people would come in. The, the the veterans would say, "Buzz off, man! I'm not making you better than me. Right, no right, way. Right. Though that those are, that's how most sales cultures were. They wouldn't even talk to the rookies for ninety days. But far and Aaron Rodgers, they would get blown up. I mean, that's it's, a perfect it's, example. It's, it's, I'm not going to help you take my job. I'm not going to do that. It's an internal thing. Yeah. It's not. And and, and look, I, I got I'm blessed to be in this situation that I'm in mm-hmm. because Good Karma Brands and ESPN they do an unbelievable job for me." of surrounding me with people and and asking me to ask them questions mm-hmm. putting it in the training process so that I have to do it and it's that's unbelievable but there's still an there's still a natural instinct inside of you that makes it hard to do that when you've been in a in a in a leadership role and you feel like you're all of a sudden you went from being the smart guy in the room or the guy that could help everybody to now, you're the guy who needs the help. Mm-hmm. That it's hard. That's a that's a that, hard. Is that, is that your pride? Human name for sure. It's all pride. Well, well, I mean, the greatest salespeople in the world do have egos. <laughs> I mean, let's mm-hmm. call it what it is. That that is a part of your makeup, but part of that competitive nature that makes you want to be great. Mm-hmm. That to do the things it takes to be great, to live with that doubt. You know, and I stand up in front of a room full of people, and I go, "How many here are dealing or have ever dealt with fear or doubt?" And people kind of squeamishly go, come on. you know. They'll all raise their hand. I go, good, join the club. That's what the greatest of the great do. They've learned they have a toolbox that has helps them deal with that. He's in that early stages of, of building that toolbox to say the higher up the ladder you go, the more fear you have. I still, you know, I'm going to speak to, you know, a thousand people at the end of the month. 
Mm-hmm. I still get the butterflies. I still get fear. You know, I, I'll fight through it, and I know that there's something good on the other end. But the reality is, it's about experience. He doesn't have experience in this. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's building. It's building your library. It's building. You know, it's learning. It's it's put making yourself vulnerable and understanding that it's okay to have to learn it and to accept that and to when you put your head down on, on the pillow at night and you have that moment of oh my. Am I really doing this? And you said to own and it. You say, yeah. Accountability yeah. matters. Accountability is important. The fact that America was cheering and actually rooting for prior to cheering Tiger Woods this previous Sunday, the Masters, is about his accountability. It's about the fact that he owned those mistakes. The fact that he went to the rehab. The fact that he gave the, I'm sorry, the awkward press conference back in 2009 or 10, whatever that was. Because if he had denied it, never been fully caught. And just played it off, Doesn't people work. wouldn't have been rooting for him. They would have been cheering right. for him. So that's extreme ownership, which I know that you wanted to talk about today being an aspect of this transition for you. It, what does that mean to you, extreme ownership? That means owning every every aspect of what happens to you. And and you know, I have to you have to say that, you know, the the book Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink is is where that comes from. Unbelievable book. Unbelievable, Unbelievable. book. But it's there are a lot of people who say, well, you know, I didn't I didn't get that or I didn't make that happen or that didn't happen to me because of this circumstance or this situation. That's passing the buck. Mm-hmm. You can't pass the buck. Not if you're going to make a transition, if you're going to go be successful in anything. You've got to own all of it. So, like, I own all of my previous experiences in college football coaching. Everything that got me here, good, bad, ugly, I own. They're mine. And then I'm going to own everything that, I, that happens going forward. So... As I'm in it and as I'm going through it and I take ownership for who I am and I take ownership of learning what I need to learn so I can be successful here, I own that. It's not about, yes, there's a great training program here, but I have to do what I need to do to make sure that I'm giving myself all the tools. It seems to me, okay, so being a minor in psychology, practicing it on the air for about 20 years with giving advice, telling people what they're right or wrong and what this really is all about, something that gets so far overlooked, something that is so simple that people do not realize makes such a huge difference to people they're trying to communicate with and do business with is just that, is ownership, is accountability. Right. Right. It's saying, that's my fault. There I is no it. excuse. I own that's it. All my- <laughs> and when you do that, it changes how people feel, and it changes how people view you. You know, If O.J. Simpson had said, I did this, I don't deserve to live, put me to death, I loved her too much, I couldn't bear, and I was doing the uh, drugs, and I couldn't, please, I don't deserve to live, God, just kill me. They would have forgiven him And they would have forgiven him. He would have done 20 years in prison, or 25, he'd have been out now, right? 2019, and he'd have been like, you know, you're brave, you you know, you paid your debt to society, and uh, you know, you admitted your wrongs. Is Pete Rose any different? Is what? Is Pete Rose any different? Same thing. He hasn't owned up to it. Yeah. He hasn't owned it, man. Well, he bet on baseball. I mean, he said, he said, he said, I, you know, he said, I bet on baseball, and that's a victimless crime. Right. You know, that's your money, and if you want to bet on baseball, so be it. That thing got blown away out of proportion. But what I'm saying is just simply telling people, um, I made a mistake. I'm wrong. Ooh, that's my bet. You're right. It changes the whole vibe, it changes the whole temperature of the room, it changes how they think of you and view you, and whether or not they want to uh, trust you. And they want to do business with you. I also think it's really important. We talked about Tiger real quick, and I want to make sure we talk about this because not only did he have all that negative stuff going on, but there wasn't a, a sports channel that you could turn on that mm-hmm. wasn't saying Tiger's done. Mm-hmm. He's he'll never Break. be what Break. he was. Well, Tiger said he was done. Everybody, right. everybody said he was done. But when he said it, we believed him. And as they, as the, as you watched him, there was nothing to tell you that he was coming back. Mm-hmm. But he decided he was going to come back, mm-hmm. and he. Didn't listen to anybody else. He just decided in his mind, I'm going to tell myself that I can do this. I'm going to do what I need to do to do it. 
no, despite what anybody thinks. He did it in the first time around to make his dad proud, and he did it this time around to make his kids proud. Right. That was pretty special. It, it was pretty Seeing special. the sure. two frames. But, but the accountability is what we're talking about. The yeah. extreme ownership. And Mark talks about from the book that you said that you read that it's not the podcast from the book that we are doing right now. The idea of just owning it. If Michael Jackson were alive, all the stations would have pulled their music. The Vegas show would have been canceled. He paid his, he's dead. So the documentary HBO kind of is like, well, okay. But he said, he, he owned it by dying. Yeah. Right. Right. It doesn't not, get any worse. Had he not died, the perception right. is totally different. Yank the music. The other part of extreme ownership is once you're there, whatever, wherever you're at, once you make the decision, like I made the decision to, to get out of coaching and be here, burn the boats. Now, what do you mean by that? Don't look I back. Said, burn, burn the <laughs> so boats. So it's an old adage, right? I mean, it's an old saying that from when you went, got to an island, mm-hmm. right, if the Vikings or whoever it was that was conquering new territory, mm-hmm. the great generals would, would get there, right, mm-hmm. get the boats, Everybody off the boats and now burn them. No option. Because there's no going back. No option. You have to win here. You, you better own, own this land because if uh-huh. you don't own this land, there's no there's no other option. Is that so you're fully committed mentally, spiritually 100%. to this new process? All in. 100%. All in. You have Absolutely. to be all in. You have to. You know, one of the things that Jocko talks about when he relates in the book, he relates uh, what he does, which was training and working with uh, soldiers to the business world. He goes, in his world... You don't own something, people die. You know, right. That's a whole other yeah. set of parameters. Mm-hmm. And, and he actually goes through all of that about you know how you know he was one of those guys that stood up, stood up and said you know it is my um, I, I own you know this I own this mistake and you know it was you know really the passion that he talks about I, I love which equals what you know what we're doing. Uh, there, there was one other point I wanted to make. That in, in in this whole process, Mark had said to me the other day, um, you know what? He goes, uh, I'm I'm having fun, and it's a very interesting thing. I spoke about it in my daily huddle this morning. People forget to have fun. You know, the Steve Kerr talked about you know the fun factor in a 60 Minutes interview the other night that. You know, he takes the guys and they go bowling and right in the middle of, mm-hmm. you know, like they lost last night. They're cru- They're going to go do something fun mm-hmm. because you lose sight of why you do. There's a what I want to have some fun. If, if, okay. you, if people don't look forward to getting to work, to getting actually I don't uh, mean the physical building, but getting to work each day, uh, you're doing the wrong thing. You get sick. You're doing the wrong thing for a living. <laughs> I saw somebody on the elevator this morning on the way in and I said, how you doing? And you know, great. I said, happy Tuesday. And he said, yeah, uh, one day closer to Friday. Right. And I was like, really? Every day's Friday. It's Tuesday. Dude. Every day's Friday. <laughs> like, you've got three days to, like, work right. and to, like, go. And I, on Friday, say to people, hey, I'm excited. It's only three days till Monday. Right. right. <laughs> and that same guy, you know, a few months ago, a couple years ago, whenever it was, was on Facebook saying, prayer warriors, I'm up for this job. I'm interviewing for the second time. Pray for me. I really want this gig. And there you go. And now here he is. And uh, it's almost not, it's not even close to Friday. And imagine working around those type of people. I mean, that's, that's you know, so you talk it. about sales and sales culture. They're two really important things because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. if you're uptight and you're pressing just like they do in sports, you don't. You can't make the play. You got to be relaxed. You got to be in it. You got to be mentally, physically. And it's you know, a choice, right? And so it's a choice. choice. He chose. He, he's choosing to look at it as one day closer to Friday, as opposed to just saying Happy Tuesday, man. So Let's we go. got father and son. We got father who learned from his father and from the family uh, lineage of understanding people, selling, owning it, and pretty then cool. sharing that wisdom with others. Pretty cool. Now 
it's another branch on this tree, another direct branch of this tree. So let's pretend we're 120 years ago. Let's pretend that here is Mark Noodleberg, and he's about to get on the train, and he's got his little suit on and his hat, because everybody wore suits and hats, and you know, that goes, and his fedora. And then here you are, Steve, and you're sending your son to go get on a train to go work for this new industry, right? That's different. He just left the football world and Cumberland College. He got beat by Georgia Tech, 222 to nothing. So uh, he's out. He's out. No more special teams there. Two, I think that was the final score, right? Ken, was it 222 to nothing? Yeah, Georgia Tech over Cumberland. So you're, it's 120 years ago. You got to put him on the train. And you're gonna, you got three minutes to spend with them to give them the advice, right. to give them the talk, to share your wisdom direct with him. Train's pulling up the station. You tell your son what about this new career in sales, this new career, this transition he's making at this juncture in his life at the age of 32, where he's a father in his own right. Go. I would say um, at no expense do you ever give up your respect. So you, there are no zeros that you can buy myself respect. That happens in sales a lot. Mm. And genuine and authentic, what you what's happening inside of you, listen to it. Because the more genuine and authentic you are, the more you will show up real and the more people will understand you, like you or not. Either way is okay. But um, you're in control. You're the one at the in the driver's seat no matter what happens. And if something makes you feel bad, it you probably shouldn't do it. See, I know that we're at a great advantage in the year 2019 because not only are you going to live you know, two buildings over, but you have your FaceTime and your iPhone and every communication device. And I'm trying to say you're sending him on his way to go far away on a train where you're going to write a postcard and in three weeks he'll get it. And so this is your chance there to share the authenticity. And the, it sounds like you already know that. There's, one, like there's already, one more thing he would tell me. What's that? It's all about prospecting. <laughs> <laughs> Is that an important lesson? If you're going to be in sales? <laughs> like I, I hear people say, I hate prospecting. You know what? You Sell french fries. <laughs> yes. Go cook french fries. Go cook, yeah. <laughs> Watch. Something. The, any any great salesperson is a great prospector. And if you learn... You can't be one. You can't be a great... Like, you can't be a great salesperson without being great at prospecting. Correct. I mean, this is all about... And if you get good at prospecting, you will never, ever starve. Boom. There it is. Boom. Mark Middleberg, congratulations. And good luck. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm going to try and haze you as much as I can. Yeah, around you here. guys are it's working together every, every day. Try and haze you like a, like a pledge. I can't believe that you guys are all working together. It's crazy. How about that? Steve, every week we ask us to tell you to ask us to tell us something good. So why don't we wrap up 62, a very special family edition, by telling us something good. And so I this, imagine it might be along those lines. This was super cool for me. And, and the coolest part is, is that now I'm getting to hear about how I was 25 years ago when he was a kid. And he's relating and understanding all of those life events uh-huh. and how they shaped him to be the incredible person and salesperson he is now and so i'm super proud of him super proud of us and uh you know it's just a cool time man it's just there is nothing better i can tell you family means i I thought for you know that he would live somewhere else coaching football the Mm -hmm. rest of his life and in a one swoop he's living a a building away from me and we're sharing i get to really share my experience with him which he should be the ultimate student to the ultimate teacher, and it's uh, we are very blessed. F O E hashtag F O E F O E. 
Mark, congratulations again. I appreciate that. Steve, uh, want to try for Thanks, uh, brother. Try Thank for you for all you do, man. Of course. You, you do great, great well, stuff. You know, man. the last time I was on the show, we talked about 62 and how relevant that was. You know, the number was relevant to a sport. Wasn't 62 the number? The, well, 61 is in baseball. Well, 62 was the, well, the one that broke it, though. 62. For me, that was, oh, yeah. that was Maguire Sosa. Right. The race yeah. to 62. 98. So you're on 62, a little, a little tidbit. He knows his stuff. Yes, he does. Steve Nilberg, Josh Cohen saying thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Confessions of a Serial Salesman, the podcast. So long, everybody.